Welcome to Growth Untold, the podcast where we dive into thoughtful conversations and insightful discussions with world-class people, all with the aim of inspiring, educating, and empowering our listeners. We are thrilled to have you here with us on this exciting journey to explore the diverse stories and the ideas that have the power to shape the world for the better. Welcome to Growth Untold, the podcast. Listeners, today you are in for a treat. We are joined by the creative mastermind, strategist, and brand architect at one of the world's most iconic brands within film and entertainment technology. He first made his mark on the advertising agency side at The Shepherd, transforming a plethora of brands such as Live Nation, Westfield, Guy Fieri, and more. Since then, he has made his way over to IMAX, helping transform and shape the brand by building an award-winning in-house creative team, launching global brand campaigns, and some of Hollywood's biggest films, including IMAX's record-breaking release of Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Enhancing operating models to create business transformation, help drive DEI efforts, and so much more. He's ascended the marketing ranks to VP of Global Creative Marketing, and most recently became VP of Strategy and Planning at IMAX. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Beyond business, Angie wears multiple hats as a mentee and mentor for Adweek's CMO Mentorship Exchange Program. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you. Welcome, Andrew. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. And I'm glad we can get going. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm personally really excited about this. Obviously, you know, I know Alex is very excited because he wants to talk to you all about marketing and branding, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I'm going to let him do. And we obviously want to know a little bit about your upbringing and your yeah. childhood because that's yeah. what this show is all Absolutely. about as well. But I'm I'm really excited to talk to you about IMAX, obviously, because, you know, this is my jam. I'm excited. And I'm loving your shoes, by the way. <laughs> my producing so partner, funny. all he wears is Lacoste. And, but those shoes so are... That is funny. Yeah, that's all he wears. I, I'm, I'm not over-exaggerating. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's literally yeah. all he wears. Yeah. Uh, but those shoes are fire. Yeah. Well, the... they've been, like, they've been um, having comeback, I feel. Yeah? Yeah. Well, yeah. those shoes are fire, yeah. man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. And for the listeners, by the way, who aren't seeing this, they are like fire red Lacoste. It looks like he has pillows on his feet. Does it feel like you have pillows on your feet? They feel like pillows. They they almost feel like they're very, very cushioned, like down comforters. Look at this this Lacoste. I mean, hey, man, throw some money at the podcast. What are we doing here? That's a sponsorship deal right there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So that wraps up the podcast. (laughs) No, but yeah, we would love to understand the childhood. like where you grew up. Yeah. And I know you grew up in in California. Yeah, but I would yeah, love to just absolutely. know more about your journey and You're an Angelino? Are you an I Angelino? I'm an Angelino. I know. It, it's super it's super interesting when people do meet me and they're like, Wait, you're from LA? Yeah. I'm like, Yeah, so I grew up in um a city called Glendale. So it's just adjacent. It's LA County adjacent yeah. to LA. Um, but I grew up as an only child, um, single parent, immigrant mom. And also, I only spoke Tagalog up until I was five. From where? Immigrant from Um, where? From the Philippines. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I didn't really. So I was like this kid who went to preschool and had no idea, like, oh, I'm supposed to be speaking English. Like, I was just thrown into it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember as a kid, I would go home and I'm like, mom, no one's giving me milk at school. And she's like, well, I'm paying for you to get fed at school. So that's a little weird. 
she goes and speaks to my teacher and then because i didn't know english and the teacher tells her well every single time we provide snacks we ask the kids to raise their hands if they want milk and she's like oh but he doesn't speak english so clearly wow. he won't know what you're saying so yeah. i I grew up as an only child. And... I'm sorry, but what a dumb teacher. Like, she didn't put this together, like, after the first couple of days. I like, mean, come on. What are we doing here? I, I get it because yeah. I was in ESL and I went yeah. to school with yeah. Alex. So yeah. Alex, like, you know, we, yeah. we grew up together. Yeah. I was in ESL, English yeah. second language. I couldn't get my G's from my J's right. Oh, ab so, like, absolutely. Same, same with me. You, they, they put you in, like, speech therapy because yeah. you can't, you mix up letters, et cetera, et cetera. And exactly. I still do it sometimes. I find I'd be, like, Egypt, and I'm like, oh, no, that's, uh, that's like, you know, that's, <laughs> I don't know how to say it now. But it's true. It's And you get made fun of sometimes, yeah. and yeah. and you just feel like you're you're behind. You know what I right. mean? It's not a nice feeling. Right. Yeah. Right. Did you feel that way? Did you feel like, you know, maybe you were put on the spot growing up or you were expected to like fast track your learning well i think there are probably um two dynamics there i think number one is being only child you're you're just shy right right um and then i think that combined with the fact that i didn't have a father figure is like well how do you sort of behave and interact with people mm. and i think secondly is um you sort of don't know what you don't know so when you go into school, you're like, I don't really know how to behave or engage because I just don't know how to do that. Like, it's a very, yeah. like, it's definitely like a steep learning curve. And then yeah. things that sort of become normalized, you think, are the way they're supposed to be. When in actuality, you have to create this energy and you can actually dictate how things can get done or how things can, you know, come to life. So right. it was definitely interesting growing up because yeah. I, I predominantly grew up with, you know, if, you, if you're if you not, you know, um, that aware of Glendale, Glendale is predominantly Armenian. Oh, so really? I grew up with Armenians, Koreans, Mexicans, yeah. um, people from Pakistan, people from India. Like, so my so still, uh, ethnic. Yeah, my group yeah. dynamics was very diverse. I think wow. like our school, my high school is about like 40 percent Armenian. Wow. Like maybe hmm. like a mixture of like maybe like 20 or 30 percent like Latino. It was a very diverse. That's awesome. Group. So I sort of thought that's like what college would be. Right. Until I went to um, the University of California, Irvine, and I said, oh, my gosh, who are all these other people? Like, I had no... <laughs> it was actually a culture shock for me, even though I grew up in Southern California. Wow, that's amazing. That's the first time I've heard that, like, me and Alex grew up in a predominantly Caucasian right. neighborhood in right. school. Right. But to grow up in a predominantly, like, other ethnic culture neighborhood, that's that's fascinating. It's like I knew everyone was a different ethnic makeup, but I didn't really know that they were a different ethnic makeup, if that makes sense. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah, everybody was different enough that different was normal. Exactly. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that totally that makes, makes sense. sense. So fascinating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, you know. <laughs> it does, all right? You just listen to this back. It will make sense, I promise. <laughs> it's morning, all right? You're forgiven. Um, so I just want to talk about just like your, your journey into marketing, right? You, you just you felt like it was like a melting pot where you grew up. Right. And you went to university. Um, and where did this like love affair of psychology, marketing, brand work, like where did that come from? Was that from your childhood or did you fall into it? Yeah, so so interesting, I think, because everyone was like, how do you get into X, Y, and Z? Or they think it's like this perfect like trajectory. Yeah. I had actually, I'd applied to like 16 schools 
I wanted, I was always like exploratory. So I wanted to go to like New York or Miami, et cetera, et cetera. And then my mom of all places was like, I want you to stay in Southern California. <laughs> yeah. So the one school I applied to as a Spanish major, I applied to the other 15 schools as a communications marketing major. And I did get into quite a few. Okay. Um, I landed in Irvine because it was just like, it was more cost effective. It made sense. It was yeah. close to home. It's like an hour away. And I landed in Spanish. I was trying to get out of it, really. Yeah. But I was so far ahead because I had done so much in high school that it was like, well, then why don't I just stick with it? Mm. That then opened up opportunity to live abroad in Spain for an entire year. Wow. Which then awesome. opened up my entire world. Isn't yeah. the Spanish different, like Latin, Latin American Spanish and Spain Spanish? But... There, there, there's definitely nuances. And also, it's funny, they always teach you, they're like, you never have to learn the vosotros form, which is like the Spain. Right. Um, like to form or you form. Yeah, yeah, because you're being taught in America. Exactly. Why would you? And, yeah. then I, and they're like, it's not like you're going to study in Spain. I'm like, well, lo and behold, I'm living in Spain for yeah. Entire year. So yeah, it, it is a little different. But you um, picked the it up. accent. I picked it up, and then I basically came back fluent. Wow. So I mean, going back to marketing, I actually think the more you know about the world, the more curious you are, the better you are at actually marketing, and the better you are in business hmm. because you understand the dynamics between people, you understand different cultural backgrounds, you understand just how the world works. So I would say the Spanish actually got me into um the agency the shepherd where i was at for seven years yeah. i remember the first project i had it was the recession in 2009 like yeah. it was like 2007 2008 2000, like nine was when i graduated and it was like no one was accepting me and i was like gosh do i have to go back to school after i just finished four years of school just yeah. to get an internship yeah and then i applied to that to the shepherd and my spanish got me in the door because oh. they were doing these, funny enough, they were doing, not funny enough, but they were doing cardiovascular um, videos in Spanish. <laughs> okay. And they're like, oh, you know Spanish and English. Yeah. You're like a perfect ad, added value. So that's yeah. actually what got me into it. But I had always wanted to do marketing. I was just very curious about connecting the dots. Yeah. yeah. And I think marketing is a lot about connecting the dots, connecting people, ideas, information. Yeah. And that was like my entry point into it. Wow. Yeah. What you said earlier about, you know, being being well traveled kind of helps you. I think it helps you in any job, not just right. marketing. I think, you know, with acting and art, it's the same way. Right. Obviously, the more right. well traveled you are the more you understand other cultures and other regions in the world that gives like a, such a beautiful color to your art. And I think even like, I was thinking like, well, attorneys or, you know, lots of other professions. I think that really helps, but you're right, especially for marketing because the world has become so interconnected and Absolutely. international now. I mean, you can speak to this more, but are you finding that brands now in general, let's say American brands, right? Um, are seeking out more international marketing in the sense that like brand ambassadors can be more international now has it become more international over the years yeah i think what i think what people tend to forget when they're when they're handling marketing or when they're really driving or trying to build a brand is that the brand can always have its main platform or, or value proposition, right? But that can show up in different ways on an international basis because every group is so different. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like 
before it used to be so segmented, it's like, well, there's international marketing, there's this marketing, there's that marketing. Realistically, it's all marketing, right? A lot of it is just specialized because you have to hyper-focus some of your marketing efforts and advertising towards specific groups because they respond to things very differently. So, so absolutely, I think there's definitely been this progression. I also think there's been a lot of, you know, areas around the world that maybe haven't been exposed to many brands because maybe it's just something that they don't need right within their space or shows up in a very different way right that's right. interesting i want i want to nerd out on on marketing for a bit sorry Mina. no go ahead man. Sorry, man. <laughs> do it do your thing do your thing all right have fun man okay man that's, what, what, that's what it's all about that's i love your guys relationship <laughs> that you're able to respect each other's of areas of interest yeah yeah, yeah. we've been knowing each other for how many years now oh my goodness we were like six seven uh i, I was just telling him in the car ride i remember i used to always 15 years yeah. This is what he does. He doesn't give me the answer that I asked for. He just goes on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, I do. But I used to, I used to annoy him all the time growing up. I used to call um his house phone always after school and then his mom would pick up. She's like, Hello, and I'd be like, Hi, Miss Masood, is Mina there? She'd be like, No, he's doing the mess homework. <laughs> like, he's no. doing his work. And I'm like, No, it's really, really important. She's like, What's really? And then after Mina picks up, he's like, Hi, Alex. I'm like, Hey, what do you have to? <laughs> <laughs> the funny part about it is you mentioned the house phone which like people don't really have now yeah right yeah, it's like yeah. they just call your cell phone when you're 10 oh yeah that's true we <laughs> yeah crazy i didn't have cell phone until i was i don't know like grade 11 had, so like early, senior, like a senior in high school like yeah i didn't have a yeah. cell phone for a long time it wasn't until university man yeah. Look at you're ahead of the curve. But anyways, <laughs> well, my dad, well, my dad worked in cell phones. Remember, so it's only natural that I uh, that, that I sense. would get one early. That makes sense. But so I want to nerd out about agency for a moment, just for the for yeah. the people that are listening that don't really understand agencies and what they serve as. And from my from my understanding, and I'd love to get your take on it. Like you worked at the Shepherd for seven years, um, and I worked in the agency, uh, you know industry for a while i understand like agencies are interesting because you're basically given this power with your clients and your brands to connect these brands to culture and you have to decide as consultants where they play you want to go to music you want to go as an ambassador as a sports property whatever it may be so at the shepherd like what what did you do with that power i guess but like what you know how was that journey for you in developing you into the marketer that you are today when a brand chooses to have a relationship with an agency and vice versa right because mm -hmm. i think the the old agency model was brands pick agencies whereas agencies don't yeah. really have to say have a say in it it needs to be a mutual relationship yeah i think when there's this mutual relationship i think there's this trust that gets developed between the agency and the brand mm -hmm. the brand's welcoming outside critique and observations and key takeaways and basically the agency is then receiving the opportunity to then provide their feedback on a brand. And I think that's something that's super exciting. And I think when that dynamics is, is great, I think that's a fantastic partnership. So a lot of the work that I did at The Shepherd, you know, originally, you know, I had started there as an intern, basically built and built and built year over year and year. So talk about the yeah. starting from ground zero yeah. and you just sort of work your way through it until you gain trust. And then by the time I left, I had built the project management function. I had built the entire creative group. Wow. I was then working on a lot of, I would say it was about 90% projects and 10% new business development. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of things we're doing were actually pretty unique stuff. So for example, um, OUE Limited, they're a Singaporean real estate company. They were building um, an observation deck in downtown at the US Bank Tower. So this was like years back. That that um, concept didn't really survive during the pandemic. But before that, mm -hmm. we were actually doing restaurant restaurant um, concepts for them. We're taking oh, cool. a look at partnerships to help drive revenue. So we're doing a lot of that for, for that group. We're also doing, we're launching Guy Fieri burger joints and barbecue joints. So being able to have a say in what that brand look and feel um, would look like in the marketplace. So I think it's a gift to yeah. be able to work on a brand some that are already established and or rather brands that you need to help bring to life and to the world yeah that's that's interesting and is there any i'd love to understand is there any brand campaign that you can think of that you really enjoyed working on guy for your burgers that must have been amazing but is there anything that you can hang your hat on you're like no that was pretty kick-ass that was amazing yeah i mean i would have to say when i had done work for oue skyspace that's mm. what it was called, that specific observation deck yeah. was pretty cool. I mean, to be able to reimagine a space that is observation deck and bring that to life as a live experience attraction, and then be able to concept restaurants and in interactive spaces, I think that's like something cool because that actually goes beyond what people would categorize as marketing, right? People think marketing is or advertising is a TV spot or you know, a billboard, but it's actually everything that embodies the brand. So mm -hmm. everything from the very first moment that you interact with the brand, so ticketing all the way through to the full experience. Those spaces are very interesting for me because they are all about experiences, to your point. Right. Um, and, and entering into, you know, maybe transitioning into IMAX, I think what drew me to IMAX is the fact I remember very clearly in my interview you know, they asked me, this was in 2016, you know, why IMAX? And I said, when you go into a movie theater and you sit there, when you come out, you're inspired, reinvigorated, you can view the world in a very different way. And then you can then change as a person. And I think that experience that you have in an hour and a half, two and a half hour window of no cell phones, no interruptions, I think is such a special moment because you do get lost in it. Yeah, as an actor, I agree. Uh, <laughs> definitely. Uh, so t tell people what IMAX is. A lot of people don't know. Maybe our, our listeners, like there's certain regions in the world that don't have certain products. Right. So what is IMAX and what makes like a true IMAX experience? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, we're an entertainment technology company. So our founders found us because they said, we want to bring the masses to experiences that they can't have anywhere else. So, for example, if you're not able to travel to X, Y, and Z, because we did start out in the museum institutional space. So a lot of it was educational material. Wow. So we have IMAX cameras, and then we then have the actual presentation of it. So we have projector systems, we have the screen, the speakers. So the entire experience is really the entire setup that we have. So over time, we went from institutional documentaries to then commercial spaces, so Hollywood blockbusters, to now alternative content like the Taylor Swift concert that was wow. just released. So really, we've expanded our offering over time, but it's really all the way from filming and shooting with 
IMAX film cameras. Now we also have IMAX digital cameras. Wow. And then through to post-production, and then ultimately some of our products also land in home with IMAX Enhance, which is our in-home offering. What's that? And can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, so IMAX Enhance is basically um, like an additive ecosystem. So essentially we have various devices and products that when you combine them with the content that we also have on um, on any on some of the streaming platforms, you basically are experiencing the IMAX immersive experience at home. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. So yeah. you can buy like IMAX, uh, uh, like what, like uh, like, speakers like, like or... sound bars and things yeah. like that with some mm -hmm. of our partners, and then you combine all of them because they're a part of the ecosystem. And then because it's no longer within the theatrical window, you're now able to experience that at home. Wow. So really trying to accommodate and bring the IMAX experience in varying degrees within, you know, from start to finish. That's incredible. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, <clears throat> is it was that created to address everybody is, it's like it's still an incredible experience to be in the theater, to watch it, to experience it with a crowd of people. But is it to address like the the growing need of people who just want to watch it at their homes? Who streaming? Just yeah. say it. Just say it. <laughs> streaming. Just say, buddy, I was just trying to say the pretty book. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, was it is it made to address that? Like, was it to solve the need there? Well, I think ultimately, and and we saw this during the pandemic and even after, is there's always been a desire for shared experiences. So I think going to the movie well, yeah. is like a pastime in culture. It's just something that we've done time and time again. But for us, it's really the fact of if you love the IMAX experience so much theatrically and you want to experience that again, but it's no longer offered theatrically, right? There's only so much space. Then now you can experience it at home. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I Yeah. I can speak to that because... I've been watching films in IMAX, like every Christopher Nolan film, for example, I try to watch right. in IMAX, right? Because like he he shoots in IMAX. Um, I think he really understands the technology. He's a champion of it. I always try to go watch Christopher Nolan films in IMAX. And, and you're right, the window is usually short. Like if right. you miss it, you miss it. Right. And even in like Vegas, I was trying to find Oppenheimer in IMAX and there was a one cinema in like all of the Las Vegas greater area that was playing and I had to go to that one theater. So like you said, I think it's just like technology, you know, the IMAX technology is growing. Right. So why not kind of add that to to the the things you offer? But um, I think it's incredible that the company started off in the documentary space. Because remember, what's that place in Toronto? The science, the, 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 the science dome. Center? The yeah. dome that we yeah, used to go yeah. watch mm -hmm. yeah. and they used to play like space yeah. documentaries. That was IMAX. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, that yeah. was IMAX, yeah. man. I, wow. I can't remember. Was it the, yeah. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the well, well, because we are a Canadian company. So we're founded. What? In, yeah, we're founded <laughs> Get out of here. here. Yeah, I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> that's why the dome, that's like what you associate. So it's very interesting, like generationally, yeah. depending on how you experience IMAX. So I experienced IMAX as a kid going to California Science Center. You would take field trips. Yeah, so the science you would, center. Yeah, yeah, you would yeah. see space, yeah, okay. docks, and things like that. Um, and then, you know, probably the age group now, well, probably a few years ago, experienced IMAX first when maybe they're watching a superhero film, right? Oh. Like yeah. Marvel or DC. Yeah. And then now, let's say 
a 10 year old girl may have experienced IMAX for the first time because they watched Taylor Swift. Yeah. Right. So it's definitely interesting in terms of how a brand evolves over time and people's perceptions of a brand. Yeah, that's so, phenomenal. Just switching gears here in IMAX, it's known as a kind of the global or the gold standard right. in theatrical. How has, how have, I guess, you contributed to that or have seen that grow over time as a golden standard? Because when I go to a movie theater and there's an option for IMAX, like what you think of as a consumer who goes to movie theater, you're like, oh my God. It's I like actually... the AMG of Mercedes. Right. Yeah. yeah right, it's like right, the right. AMG experience. Right. You're, so just like, the... oh, you're like, oh shit, are we yeah. going to class this up? Gonna... <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, Let's of course. Do it, right? yeah. That's yeah. what I, that's my experience. Just being the golden standard in theatrical and like, what does this, that mean to you? Like, what are you doing to uphold that? The interesting part about IVAX, I think this is, it has, this has to do with anything that's experience based is, you can't really tell a consumer on a phone or in a billboard what that feeling is going to be like until you actually like test drive it. Essentially, you talked about cars. It's sort of like that until yeah. you get in there and then you're like, oh, my gosh, this is like I'm in it. Yeah. Right. Like I remember when when I had watched um, my friends had watched Taylor Swift in standard and they watched it in IMAX. and They're like, oh, this is these are two completely different experiences yeah mm -hmm. but is there yeah. a product at imax that's the imax screen like you exactly you, yeah. right so screen oh, okay. the sound system the projector yeah because exactly. like I, when i watched the dark knight i watched it in like full imax and i still remember that experience is like one of the best cinematic experiences i've ever had because i think they had the full IMAX, like, creme de la creme, <laughs> like, products. They had the IMAX screen, for sure. It was massive. It went, like, you couldn't even see the the, the tail of it. Can you talk about um, just, like, the, the experience with the, just the Oppenheimer campaign? I feel like that was yeah. uh, a film that recently came out that was Barbieheimer, right? The Barbieheimer <laughs> weekend, yeah. Yeah, yeah but uh, Oppenheimer, you, you, you know, you, that was like a big project that you work on. Can you just walk us through that experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had a very long-standing relationship with Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Um, and he is a fantastic filmmaker and has utilized IMAX film cameras, 70 millimeters, on several of his films. And I think just the partnership and the artistry of someone like that who mm -hmm. understands the canvas and understands how to utilize the toolkit that he's provided with is something that's really special for us. And, mm -hmm. and for us, that was a massive blockbuster hit for the summer. Yeah, that's yeah. so that's what I was speaking to earlier that I was like, IMAX 70 millimeter. So that makes a lot of sense now because I had heard a lot of this hype about the yeah. IMAX 70 millimeter, yeah. but, but 70 millimeter is also film like that's, right, right. It's, it's, exactly. it's film like it's literal they're filming on film so paul thomas exactly. anderson does it a lot exactly whenever we do release a film that's shot in imax 70 millimeter um you also bring on all these project projectionists that can operate projections that are imax 70 millimeter yeah that's yeah that that's insane i didn't know about that because i think actually now that i'm speaking to you i think that's the most revolutionary product you guys probably have made because 70 millimeter is film which is notoriously hard to film on paul thomas anderson uses it a lot and his films are incredible mm -hmm. but with film it, it it's it's way more expensive because mm -hmm. you can't just like action cut action cut it's like 
with digital, you could do that really as many times as you want. Right, it doesn't really right, matter. Right, it just right, goes on a card. Right, right. Uh, but with film, like you're burning film, right? Right. So right. it gets really expensive for the studios, and it's there's there's more of like a a tourship that really comes with shooting and film. So for you guys to take right. that film right. and make a new product that's IMAX film. That's right. incredible. Like right. I, I hadn't put those two together. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Well, and, and going back to your question, Alex, about the golden standard, if you think about it, that is the golden standard. So, mm. so like to your point, Mina, it's not the easiest to work with, but it does take craftsmanship. It does take artistry. And, you know, we have our chief quality officer who works hand in hand with Christopher Nolan. And so it's definitely interesting um, because the golden standard for us is really from start to finish. It's the filmmaker relationship. It's a studio relationship. It's how we manage our marketing campaigns. It's how we message it out. It's how we communicate to consumers, um, when we receive feedback. So it's really, it's a whole ecosystem. Start, it's an entire mm -hmm. ecosystem. So I think, you know, oftentimes golden standards for some brands, it's, you know, you get a good product and then it's a done deal. For us, it's we want you to have the full experience the moment you engage with our brand to the moment you enter the the theater. And then once you exit, we want you to have that feeling of, wow, that was an amazing experience. I want to come back again. Right. And that's so that's interesting from a marketing perspective. Obviously, the marketing you do to the end consumer, that's obvious, right? Because right. it's like, go watch this film. It's an IMAX. Go watch right. this. Do you have, during your marketing um, uh, meetings, are you talking about how to market to filmmakers to bring in more filmmakers to utilize IMAX? Is that something you guys focus on? Or is it kind of like the product will speak for itself and eventually we'll just organically get other filmmakers coming in and, and wanting to use our products? I, th I think what I can say is is the fact that we have a toolkit, right? Um, let's say it's like a playground for filmmakers to really play in and, and pick and choose. Filmmakers are a huge part of it, right? They're the, the artists in the entire ecosystem. In theatrical is interesting because you have filmmakers, you have studios, you have exhibitors, and you have us. So it's, a, it's an interesting orchestration of an entire ecosystem that's massive with so many factors and variables involved. Is there just knowing how gold standard, just the you're protecting the integrity of the art and you create some incredible films, right? And you have Christopher Nolan, who's a big believer proponent in use of your technology. Is that have you flirted with the idea of having an IMAX festival and only doing IMAX films? Or does this already exist? <laughs> Well, it doesn't exist. Okay. So it doesn't exist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I feel like that'd be awesome. Like, just yeah, like I, I think IMAX it's a fantastic idea. IMAX specific festival. And then obviously no one's going to premiere a film there every year. Right. And right. other artists are like, oh, wow, I want to be at yeah. that. I think that's a fantastic That could idea. definitely be a thing. Yeah, that's a yeah. good idea, man. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll think about it. And I will Take it off. Mail over it. Take it off. And we'll get back to you. <laughs>
We'll let you know what we really think. We'll send a follow up. Yeah, we'll send, we'll send a follow up. Do you speak Spanish? Because if, if not, then it's it's dead. It's dead. Uh, see, um, uh, I want to talk about just quickly about the, just the whole film experience. And you said from start to finish. Like, what right. are the the the, the minute the specific details that you are focusing on? Because I just I feel like that whole thing's fascinating. When I used to work at the Toronto International Film Festival. Right. And I remember there was like a meeting that we had to do to talk about best practices. And um, so I tried to share the NBA as a best practice of them following fan rituals and marketing to those rituals. Like the red carpet walk, when like a favorite NBA player enters the stadium, how do we do that for mm -hmm. celebrities that enter the red carpet for Tiff? How do we market that? How do we get fans more engaged right. on their phones? You know what I mean? And then monetize that. Right. But like, do you, I guess my question for you is like understanding what are those other details down that you're focusing on? Is it the beginning? Is it like the fans um, second use of the cell phones while they're, you know, getting prepared for films? Or is it the after when they leave and they're all buzzing and analyzing it with their friends yeah. and yeah. going to every blog known to fucking mankind on the internet going like holy crap Oppenheimer yeah right? yeah like what's yeah. what are some of those little details that you're focusing on right now yeah I think a lot of it is you know I mentioned this like every generation has a different association with IMAX so you have you know people who grew up with it with documentaries and then um Hollywood blockbusters or superhero films and now alternative content I think for us it's really as we evolve and as a consumer evolves of re almost reintroducing IMAX to people. So if you do know it as as a kid growing up as a documentary, we actually want you to re-meet IMAX as a superhero place to go to. Also re-meet IMAX as a place where you can listen to great music and experience concerts. So that's really, I would say, an area mm -hmm. of focus. And and it's nothing, it's not a secret because it's out there. Like we've yeah. been playing, you know, um, unique experiences like Brandy Carlisle and Taylor Swift and a few others um, to really expose people who have maybe never experienced IMAX before to go, wow, that was a really cool experience. Yeah, I haven't. I didn't associate IMAX with music or concerts or anything like that personally. So that's that for me would be a brand new experience. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and I think, you know, with addition of other types of content as well, so let's say animated or uh, musicals, things like that, I think it then further exposes people to go, oh, that's a very different experience that I would have never imagined in IMAX, but that's pretty cool. So I think mm. a lot of it is really surrounded around that. Um, I think the other thing is really... Um, allowing the product to speak for itself and in order to do that it's you know being able to drive people to the movie theaters with content that does appeal to them so mm -hmm. there's there's that aspect of it yeah do you think because because as an artist um as an actor i believe that cinemas are here to stay I really do. I think, yes, things are becoming more remote and, um, you know, people are staying at home more and streaming has changed the industry for sure. But I do think cinemas are here to stay. I think it's a special experience that I think is like ingrained in our DNA um, that has existed since, you know, the beginning of film and even preceded that when people used to, you know, go watch gladiators. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, right. I think it's right. just existed for for a long, long time. But you have a different insight because you work, you know, at IMAX. 
do you guys believe that cinemas are here to stay or do you think it is like a dying uh you know industry absolutely here to stay and we saw that right after the pandemic and and obviously there was that one year you know in in 2020 where it was challenging for anything that was where you had to be around people but after that we definitely saw growth and i think that's the exciting part is and everything that we've seen in data that people wanted to return to shared experiences. And that's something that they were missing from a communal aspect of it. They've mm -hmm. had a lot of alone time. And, and going back to what movies do is that they inspire you, they transport you, they motivate you. I think that's something that people seek out. Because also, if let's say one's not traveling, or let's say one can't afford to do x y and z going to movie theaters is actually like a very great value add right it's like such a value pack because you're going there to experience being able to travel to a different period a different place in the world being able to be placed in situations that maybe you've always wanted to be in or maybe that you've never experienced that you're buying a ticket to and you're on this getaway for two and a half hours or so. Yeah, it's an escape. Yeah. 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 I think I, I remember seeing a study that there was like a direct correlation between your self-esteem, uh, you know, your just self-belief and your, just your happiness and the amount of communal experiences that you attend. So like, obviously there's a huge drop in like, right. there's increased, sorry, in depression during the pandemic. Everybody was isolated by themselves. Right. These shared experiences, even if it's with strangers in a movie theater. So right. I have like a friend Shout out to Tally, but she loves, she just goes to movie theater all the time, even if it's by herself. Like yeah. I remember she was going to watch a BTS concert yeah. in, a, in, a, in a concert by herself because she's a huge BTS fan. But it's just, she just, and I always, always asked her, I try to use her as like a, like a fan, right. uh, you know I mean? A focus group. <laughs> and cool. I was like, right? Like, what, what, why, exactly. do you, why do you keep going? Why do you keep going back? She's like, oh, I just love it. I fucking love it there. Like, it's incredible. It's, it's an escape, yeah. right? It well, is. well, it's a shared experience plus the fandom. So you're basically around, yeah. you're around strangers, but you're not around strangers because you already have a shared interest mm. in that topic, in that film, in that piece of music. And so let's say if you're a Swifty, you're sitting next to someone who's singing the same lyrics and you're like, oh, well, I know a Swifty likes X, Y, and Z. So by, you know, deductive reasoning, you're like me. It's very interesting. Right. Um, yeah. Because it's a shared experience plus the fandom and you're essentially bringing strangers together, but they're, they don't feel like they're strangers right. in that environment. So speaking of that, um, I want to bring this back a little bit to where we started. Yeah. And, and being an ethnic executive um, at companies like IMAX, did you grow up and, and growing up in California, which is a really diverse place, right. like you said, I mean, right. your high school was like all ethnically yeah, diverse yeah, people. Right. Um, did did you feel that when you were entering, you know, your your work life? Um, and how so? Was it something that you felt was an obstacle that you had to overcome or something that you felt set you apart and gave you an edge? What was your experience with your culture, with your background as you were entering the workspace? Growing up, we always have an idea of what that executive or what that successful person would behave, look like, act like, dress as when they enter that room. And it's interesting as I climbed through the ranks and progressed in my career, 
is I always had this idea of like one should behave as X, Y, and Z until you realize you just sort of are. So let's say when I walk in a room, now I see other people who are younger in the marketing organization. They're like, well, you're my viewpoint of what a vice president is. And I think that's an interesting, I would say, psychological processor journey one has to go through to go, well, wait a minute, I actually don't need to behave like everyone else. If I'm, you know, I'm Filipino and let's say I want to bring lumpia or egg rolls to work, that's okay. That's what I do. Right. And so I think it's bringing in a little bit of that culture. Um, I think for me, it's been mixed because it's being ethnic and also being gay. So yeah. mixing those two things, it's like, oh, there's actually a lot in here. Yeah. But I never actually, I remember I always told people, I said, I want to always be known as Andrew and what I've accomplished. Not Andrew, the Asian guy, not Andrew, the gay guy, but just Andrew. Yeah. And so, yes, everything else is part of me, but that's not the clear identifier of, you know, just what I should be categorized as. Of course, of mm -hmm. course. So you never, like, it, it, it was just always kind of normal to you. Like, you accepted it for what it was, and you really just put it aside and continued on as Andrew. And that was really it. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is also um, culturally how business is conducted. I think that's what a lot of things have to do. Like, for example, I always think people who grew up with siblings actually have a slight advantage in business because when you have siblings and you have two parents you are consistently almost negotiating and trying to place one parent on your side or gaining trust from your siblings to win each other over right yeah you're so right it's a very interesting dynamics right when you're an only child you actually don't have anyone to debate with so yes you are surrounded by people who are much older than you so you're actually observing and digesting, but maybe what you're lacking is like the social skills. But I never realized the impact that seeing someone who represents your group or someone who's ethnic actually can affect your entire career trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's what the podcast is all about. We want to show um, all our listeners that... You can come from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of cultures, ethnic, not ethnic, and, and find success um, right. doing yeah. what you love. You know, I think I think the 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 re at the crux of it is really like working hard, doing what you love, and going full steam at it, and not letting your preconception of your obstacles stop you. Right. So right. a lot of people and I was this way for for a while, too. A lot of people will put up obstacles in front of them like, well, I'm ethnic, so I just can't reach that level right. or, you know, I'm gay. So it's going to be harder for me right. or, um, you know, I'm a woman. So it, it's 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 going to you know, it's not conducive to this industry. And people put all these obstacles in front of them. But I think you've got to just realize, like, I'm not going to let anything stop me. Right. Like, I am who I am. I love who I am. I'm going to accept who I am. Right. And because I accept it, other people will accept it. And I'm just going to go full steam ahead. And I right. think that's kind of what it, right. that's really what it's all about. Well, well, and to your point, it's almost like I always tell people, 
like let's say i started i only started playing tennis like two years ago but i'm like let's say you like play tennis like once a week you're like okay well i'm just like playing a little bit of tennis let's say you start to play it like three times a week and from an outside perspective talking about obstacles you're like i don't really play tennis and then you start to like enter into tournaments and you start to like play on teams and start to win all of a sudden people then associate you with that sport and right. it becomes a part of you and to your point it's if you just are and you behave in that way now it's you that is you so let's say if you met someone two years later and the first interaction they had of you is you playing tennis or you you know running marathons or you doing x y and z they only know you for that right they don't know the former you of like oh you actually never worked out two years ago it's very interesting how that works right yeah so you can change you can change who you are actively like exactly. you can actively do that exactly and it's never too late yeah that's a really good yeah. point yeah that's amazing i know we're <clears throat> coming up on time here but one last last question we have is just to wrap it up. In we terms have, of, you're asking it. So I don't know sorry, if I want to associate myself <laughs> with your last question here. Yeah. Oh, man. I was trying to think of something witty to do to, to make fun of Mina, but it couldn't come off like that. Um, <laughs> I keep working on it. <laughs> but in terms of a mentorship, you're just so involved in, in mentorship as a mentor, as a big brother in the Big Brothers and Big Sisters chapter. Um, you're a mentor in the Ad Week program. And for you know, and listeners, that's where I met met you you yeah, were your mentor absolutely. and the ad week ad week is like a massive marketing medium right um platform and you know you served as a mentor but you were a mentee with cmos yeah as well yeah. like how much does that that, that mean to you just mentorship because it's such a big part of your life and who you are yeah i think for, for me i i started at big brothers big sisters 12 years ago because wow. i realized that in my 20s that if I had a male figure in my life, that that could actually open up my world. So I said, if I could give something back that's sustainable. So I'm like, at that age, I said, well, I could like donate money. I could go volunteer here. But I said, well, what can I do that will be sustainable and that, that'll actually see growth over time? And so I was paired with an eight-year-old back then. Um, and then we just celebrated his, um, 20th birthday. Wow. Last month, which is crazy. So it's almost like yeah. raising a child, but not raising a child because you're yeah. like the fun uncle <laughs> who yeah. like advises. Yeah. But I think that's where it really, you know, was initiated for me. And then I think naturally I said, well, if I could provide some of these, you know, like tools to other people, then then they could carve out their path, their career path, their life path. So I think, you know, mentorship to me really works across the spectrum. I think at the core of it, it opens up your world and opens up your perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think that's what a mentor does and a mentee does. Yeah. Is that something that you viewed in one way, someone flips it upside down by asking you a thought-provoking question, by questioning your thinking and your approach mm. and your mindset and then you're like oh my gosh and i call them light bulb moments like in hollywood there's like all these lights and all these stars but like in life you don't get that yeah so right. you have these epiphany light bulb moments where you're like oh i had no idea why didn't i just look at it in that way yeah 
Wow, Andrew, you're like the you're like a prism with uh, a lot of different lenses that you can offer these mentees. And, uh, <laughs> I'm a, a mentee that was lucky to be mentored by you too. So, um, I think that's a great way to to wrap this up. That yeah. with, with that, that was a uh, very prophetic. That's, yeah, that's just going to be the quote of the episode right there. Yeah, and I think people listening to this will will take a lot out of it, both from an executive branding perspective, and I think also learning a lot about IMAX because you know I. I'm fascinated by it and I'm in the industry and I didn't even know this much. So, uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for having me to come and talk to us. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe, share, and join the journey of growth untold. Don't miss a single nugget. Hit that follow button now on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram.